What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Recorded live. Well, hello, everybody. This is Larry Phillips, and I'm starting a little early, so Mark can do the reading for us through Isaiah 31. He's agreed to do that. After getting 16 hours of solid sleep, <laughs> he should be very rejuvenated. And he got a haircut today. He's all slicked up. <laughs> and so, Mark, I'm going to hand this over to you and uh, have you read 31 of Isaiah. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help and stay on horses and trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. Yet he also is wise and will bring evil, will not call back his words, but will rise against the house of the evildoers and against the help of them that work iniquity. Now the Egyptians are men and not God, and their horses flesh and not spirit. When the Lord shall stretch out his hand, both he that helpeth shall fall, and he that is hoping shall fall down, and they all shall fail together. For thus hath the Lord spoken unto me, like as the lion and like as the lion and the young lion roaring on his prey when a multitude of shepherds is called forth against him. He will not be afraid of their voice, nor abase himself for the noise of them. So shall the Lord of hosts come down to fight for Mount Zion and for the hill thereof. As birds flying, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. Defending also, he will deliver it, and passing over, he will preserve it. Turn ye unto him from whom the children of Israel have deeply revolted. For in that day every man shall cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which your own hands have made unto you for a sin. Then shall the Assyrian fall with the sword, not of a mighty man, the sword, not of a mean man, shall devour him, but he shall flee from the sword, and his young men shall be discomfited. And he shall pass over to his stronghold for fear, and his princes shall be afraid. Of the ensign, saith the Lord, whose fire is in Zion and his furnace in Jerusalem. Okay, well, thank you, Mark, for reading that. And that kind of prepares us for the study. Now, I just make a few comments before we start on this. This, uh, the prophets showing the cursed folly in trusting in Egypt. <laughs> and, you know, there's a lot of people, like I said yesterday, they're trusting in Egypt today, aren't they? They're trusting in everything but God. They're trusting in 
in their abilities. Uh, they're trusting in uh, they're trusting in uh, their education, <clears throat> their families, their membership in the church, trusting in uh, their baptism, uh, the last communion service that they took. Um, you know, it's it's amazing where people put their faith and their trust in. And uh, this is this is sinful behavior to trust in anything other than Christ, not looking for the Lord, not seeking Him. It's folly, you know. I mean, here God is the wise, powerful, unchangeable, immutable, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent uh, God, and we're gonna. You know, people are going to put their trust in something else. And so, this is a short chapter. It's only nine verses. And uh, um, it's... uh, Now, what I'm going to do is we may try at some point to bring Mark in to the discussion we might get Mark more involved in these Bible discussions, uh, but we'll have to use an open mic when we do that. <clears throat> and when we use an open mic, of course, um, there's uh, there's some issues that that come on with that because it you kind of get some feedback, and sometimes you'll get some feedback, and and that's not good for the listeners if they're trying to get feedback and stuff like that. Now. Um, we've got about six minutes. I want to just go ahead and <clears throat> make some other brief comments about about this chapter. You know, it's like if you go into a into the African desert. I mean, African forest. You'll see that every every animal has its territory, right? And they protect their territory, you know. God's elect should detest idolatry. In other words, God's territory, Mount Zion, Israel, should uh, stand up against uh, idols. They should stand up against uh, idols. anything that comes against the pure, unadulterated Word of God, don't you think? But yet, when people stand up against all of this idolatry, they are considered to be judgmental, intolerant, uh, unloving, and all of that. There's no greater love than telling the truth. There's no greater love than telling the truth. And of course, uh, people don't, People don't receive that very well in, in today's culture, do they? They don't want to hear the truth. It's, the Bible says that they will uh, bring into themselves teachers having itching ears, and they'll be turned unto fables, you know. And this is what happened: is these people, uh, these Jewish rulers, actually sent ambassadors to the king of Egypt. Uh, to you know, supply them with men and horses against the king of Assyria, 
contrary to the express command of God. He told them not to do that. He forbid them for returning into Egypt. And so it shows that they're just utter unmindfulness um, of God's commands, just like us, is it not, when we disobey his commands. There's a psalm that says that we're not, we should not put our trust in the legs of a horse and horsemen. Even if they're very strong, we shouldn't be depending upon those things. But yet, we find that that's exactly what we do oftentimes, isn't it? Um, now, again, I think there's a reason there's a reason why people sometimes get caught up in trying to go along with the world because they want to be accepted by everybody else. They want the accolades of their peers. It's not fun being rejected, is it? And uh, But this first verse says, Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help. <laughs> And stay on horses and trust in chariots because they are many. That's the other issue. People want to be in the majority, don't they? They don't want to be in the minority. They want to be in the majority. You know, they say, well, the majority rules. We're living in a democratic society. And on and on and on. They look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord, it says. They look not to the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. Well, we might as well go on and move into verse 2. Yet, he also is wise, and will bring evil, and will not call back his words, but will rise against the house of the evildoers, and against the help of them that work iniquity. In other words, when we disobey God, do you think that God is going to give uh, us a pass? He didn't give these people a pass. I mean, here they were. Uh, they were putting confidence in the creature and neglecting the Lord. And, uh, you know, if you think about it, if you think about it, um, putting your trust in the arm of the, play, the flesh and in, in our own righteous acts, in our duties and our services, and not having any regard to the Holy One of Israel, to Christ, to His holiness, to His righteousness, uh, this, is, this is the ultimate idolatry, is it not? To think about, well, Christ is... Um, over here, and we're down here, and we're working for him, and after all, we're cooperative agents with God, and so therefore, we can help him out. <laughs> That's the idea. Um, you know, this isn't just a king or a prince that they've disregarded. This is Christ himself that they've disregarded. You know, they are taking on their own righteousness. And uh, all their schemes and 
and everything they they work up. You know, Scripture says that the foolishness of God is wiser than man. Do you think that God is going to uh, protect people that are coming against his word and against his teachings and against his doctrine? You know, don't you think that those people that are doing that are actually shaking their fist in the face of God? And don't you think that those people that are doing that are... um, They are actually saying, we don't need God. We have, you know, we have everything covered right here. (laughs) Verse 3, now the Egyptians are men and not God, and their horses flesh and not spirit. When the Lord shall stretch out his hand, both he that helpeth shall fall, and he that is helping shall fall down, and they shall all fail together. Isaiah is reminding them that it doesn't matter how many men they've got. It doesn't matter how strong their horses are. (laughs) They're not God. In another place he says in Isaiah, he says, I am God and there is none beside me. These people actually are trying to Replace God himself, just like a lot of people are doing today, just like Pope Francis is doing today, calling himself the vicar of Christ, you know. You think Pope Francis is going to have any kind of uh, audience with God? Everybody talks about people having an audience with the Pope, audience with the Pope. You think the Pope Francis is going to have any kind of audience with God when he stands before him, you know? And, uh, you know, it's a foolish thing for a man to put confidence in men. Don't exalt man. Don't put any confidence in man. Um, you know, you know, the Lord is more powerful than all the, all of his creation put together. And, um, you know, even though the Egyptians um, were uh, strong and that, they shall all fall together. They're, they're all going to fail. Even if they're in collusion, they're all going to fail because they have, the the Jews here disregarded God. Now, um, um, anyway, that's that's what happens when when we have that. Now, guest two is logged in. I don't know. Uh, welcome, guest two. I don't know if this is Chris or maybe Walt. Whoever it is, welcome. And uh, you know, if it's Walt, should I? If if it is Walt, if you could let me know, I can call you into this group call and we can continue this. I had Mark read the uh, entire chapter um, a little bit earlier and so he got through that because it's only nine verses. So let me know. I'm kind of watching here to see if um, if you want me to um, call you in on the group call. 
Okay, number, verse 4. For thus hath the Lord spoken unto me, like as the lion and the young lion roaring on his prey, when a multitude of shepherds is called forth against him. He will not be afraid of their voice, nor abase himself for the noise of them. So shall the Lord of hosts come down to fight for Mount Zion and the hill thereof. Oftentimes when Christ is uh, making an assertion, and the reason I say making an assertion is because we know that this whole prophet of Isaiah is speaking of Christ. Chris, are you with us? I think I hear Chris there stirring in the background. <laughs> okay. Uh, Chris, hello, you... brother. Yes, I'm well, here. Hello. Thank you. Yeah. Well, we uh, had Mark read because this is a relatively short chapter, and we were it's only nine chapters, so Mark has read that. And um, I had mentioned that we may try someday to do Mark, um, have Mark help us on a discussion on an open mic. Um, it, we Hopefully we can preempt any major background noises when we bring Mark in, but we'll, we'll probably plan on that possibly tomorrow because it's a little bit longer chapter tomorrow. Verse 32 has 20 verses, and so maybe we can uh, hopefully engage Mark. Mark just finished a 16-hour nonstop sleep. <laughs> so he got totally revitalized after his, his draining. But anyway, we're in fourth, fourth verse of 31. And why don't you do this, uh, Chris, if you're up to it? Uh, we're seeing here that, uh, again, this is... Um, Isaiah showing the utter folly of trusting in in men and forsaking God and forsaking his commandments and so on. Uh, right. Why don't you re read number uh, four for us and make any comments that you have on the fourth verse of chapter 31 of Isaiah. Yeah, yeah brother. The, the, fourth, the fourth chapter of Isaiah? The 31st chapter, the fourth the verse. The 31st chapter of Isaiah. Yeah, let, let me get there. Chapter 31. Okay, while you're, while, yeah, while, you, while you're going there, I just have a comment. This, um, you know, the, whenever it refers to the Lord of hosts, especially in in Isaiah, we can realize that it's speaking of, uh, speaking of Christ. Um, it's expressing the power of God and that he is going to be certain accomplish his purposes and his promises and uh, when he tells them that they are not to to trust in the uh, legs of horses you know and they're not supposed to be trusting in chariots and they're not supposed to be going down unto Egypt and that he's going to come against them for going back into Egypt to look for them for for aid it's going to happen. He's going to come against them. Uh, go ahead, Chris. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, chapter 31, Isaiah. Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help and stay on horses and trust in chariots because they are many 
and the horsemen, because they are very strong. But they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. Yet he also is wise, and will bring evil, and will not call back his words, but will arise against the house of the evildoers, and against the help of them that do iniquity. Now the Egyptians are men, not, and not God, and their horses flesh, and not spirit. When the Lord shall stretch out his hand, both he that helpeth shall fall, and he that is Open shall fall down, and they shall fall together. For thus hath the Lord spoken unto me, like as the lion and the young lion roaring in his prey, on his prey, when a multitude of shepherds is called forth against them, he will not be afraid of their voice, nor abase himself for the noise of them. So shall the Lord of hosts come down to fight for Mount Zion and for the hill thereof. As birds flying, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. Defending also, he will deliver it. And passing over, he will preserve it. Hold, hold on hold on there a second. Now, we've, the, the point is, is that, like we've already reiterated, that once the Lord speaks, you know, his words uh, will not return to him void. In other words, the thing out of his mouth spoken will come to pass. And just as he brings condemnation for disobedience, he also uh, will defend his people. I mean, we see here in verse 5, it talks about the birds flying. Uh, it says, as the birds flying, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. And, uh, you know, oftentimes when we see this kind of, um, this kind of language, as the birds in the air, like the eagle, you know, there's a lot of eagles down here in Pineville. And we see them, and they, they're just beautiful. And they fly, you know, way, way up in the air at a distance. And they can see their nest. They can see their young ones a far distance away. And when, they're, when, they're, when their young ones are, are in, in uh, danger, these, these eagles swoop down immediately and fly to their little ones for assistance and hover over them and and this is a good uh, simile of what the Lord does for his people. He's sitting on high, and he sees his people when we're in distress, and he hastens to help us, and he surrounds us and protects us and defends us. I mean, even as it was here when Sennacherib and his army uh, besieged Jerusalem, uh, and he had boasted about what he was going to do and so on. We see that God has a nest um, for the people, for, for, for his people. And 
he protects the nest and um and we also see that uh, you know remember whenever the firstborn of Egypt were destroyed uh they put the blood on the doorpost and he said I will pass over them and I will not touch any of the firstborn of of Israel but he he destroyed all the firstborn in Egypt and so this is the same aspect that we see here um what are your thoughts on that uh, Chris well you know it reminds me of Psalm 91 right you know, right where, you know you understand that you know how, how he, he, in verse 4 he shall cover thee with his feathers and under his wings shall thou trust his truth shall be thy shield and buckler uh, uh, be thou not afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. I could go on and on, but you, you catch the natural uh, 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 analogy, the uh, parallel. Oh, yeah. Called, yeah. Called it a simile. Yeah, it is very similar, but in that, that the Lord is 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 overshadowing with goodness to those that love him and to those that he free that he loved first that's why we love him because he loved us first and we have the covering uh, like a like a chicken you know uh, 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 or a you know uh, it's like the the analogy the lord raised up when he uh, likened uh Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem! How I would love to uh, to cover you with my wings, like a chicken covers her 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 brood with with her wings. But you would not have it so. I, I guess I, I guess I'm paraphrasing. But well, that, that's yeah, that's fine. Yeah, we understand the, the the drift here. What's happening, and how the Lord loves those that are His, just like uh, uh, any bird. You know, and I guess we could compare our Lord to a to a bird in a sense because the bird has that sight and has that ability to see and cover with his wings. You know, our Lord especially employs this uh, in our behalf, and that's just more evidence of his covering and love for us. We don't deserve his love, but we get it because the Lord has, for some reason, elected us unto salvation. Something we really don't understand, but I'm a happy partner. Well, I'm not a partner at all. I'm a happy recipient of the Lord's love and kindness shown towards me and any of my brethren, you, and any of us that have the Lord cover us with his wings and watch out for us with his eagle's sight and sees the reprobate coming at us. It's a continual thing, and yet we are still, in spite of our wicked, wicked selves, which we are, 
the Lord still loves us with an everlasting love, and and uh, that's what I, I get a lot out of Psalm 92 in relation to uh, what we're reading here in Isaiah 31. Yeah, it's really good, and also another good passage that would pretty much be a parallel um uh, passage and also shore up what you're saying in the 32nd chapter of Deuteronomy of course that's the song of Moses and um, it was Moses song right before he you know he um, as he came down toward the end of his life but um, we look at we look at that and um, and I'm not going to read you know I'm not going to read the whole passage there but um, uh, you know in the 11th verse he says as an eagle stirreth up her nest and fluttereth over her young and spreadeth abroad her wings and taketh them and beareth them on her wings so the Lord alone did lead them and there was no strange God with them and he made them ride upon the high places of the earth, that he might eat the increase of fields. He made him to suck honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock. So he also used the uh, analogy of, as the eagle. And um, uh, then the sixth verse, he goes on, he says, Turn ye unto him from whom the children of Israel have deeply revolted. Well, the way they deeply revolted is they were trying to make an alliance with Egypt in the first right. verses. You know, they were trying to make an alliance, and God said, don't do it. Don't do it. Right. They did it, in, they did it anyway. Another name for Egypt is bondage. Those are synonymous words. Bondage yes. in Egypt are... Or Egypt and bondage are, are, are synonymous. And, yeah. uh, you know, at, even though the Israelites saw the magnitude of the Lord and opening the, the Red Sea that became the Dead Sea, or red due to the death of all the chariots and all the, all the fighters, you know, that wanted to kill Israel when... Uh, you know, you know, Pharaoh never, never continued to harden his heart. I mean, he never ceased from continuing to harden his heart. Right. Even at the very end, and, and yet he was swallowed up by the by the Dead Sea or Red Sea, and yet he still held on to his bitterness. You know, different from the movie. The movie has uh, has him. Uh, being spared, but no, that's for the after effect of the of the movie to lament upon. But no, he went down with his with his forces right into hell, and uh, you know they had no chance. Who can come against God, who is God, and uh, used his. Uh, well, his godly power to uh, to restrain and to subjugate uh, uh, Egypt, which is bondage, 
and control them the way God, you know, they didn't see it until ultimately uh, God showed it to them. But yet what ceases to amaze me is that they, they saw the power of God, yet they, they still went into perdition. Even after witnessing all this stuff, and yet had they have been able to now, now you can't take two or three million people and, and bring them back to Egypt across the dead, the dead Sea. You can't bring them back, uh, though they would have liked to. I guess they love the, the leeks and the garlic and everything and all the good things of, of Egypt, but that was not God's plan. And God had closed that just as surely as he opened the Red Sea for them to make passage to the other side. He closed it on the Egyptians, and he also closed it on the, on the, on the, uh, on the Hebrews that really, in spite of all God's wonderful magnitude of, of miracles, he performed for them to set them free from bondage they still wanted to go back which is analogous to us wanting to go back to this this stinking world that really has no nothing for us but uh, but heartache and uh, and misery you know uh, another picture of hell if you will you know yeah, I don't mean to get off track here, but it, it's just paramount to the, the time of. I mean, I mean, what did God have to show them against their ten, their ten false gods, and magnify His power? I mean, what do they want? You know, I mean, the Lord showed His power, yet they still never ceased from their continual want of the so-called good things of Egypt which is bondage, and it's like us today, how we go back into our sin, for what? What does it have to offer? I guess temporarily it has, you know, and I'm teaching myself, you know, the Lord is teaching me this myself, you know, that uh, what am I to glean from any of this? Uh, uh, Why haven't I learned the lesson? Uh, Israel didn't learn the lesson. They, they, you know, and that's why God ran them around in circles for 40 years in the desert and killed everybody from 20 on up, you know, because they were without, they had no faith. But God, God is the author of faith for anyone that he chooses to give or pull back faith to or from, you know? Anyway, I hope I didn't get too far afield. I've been accused of... Well, and, and also, you know, on it's tangent, like, but, uh, Yeah. It's, all, it's also, you know, like you said, it's a reoccurring theme all the way. I mean, even all the way down through the Old Testament. I mean, I was thinking of Hosea. Uh, you know, that's when Hosea was called the northern kingdom and prophesied against the whole the same kind of thing against you know the idolatry of the people and and how that they constantly exhorted them to 
to cease from their idol worship. They're you know they're uh, trying to mix in with the rest of the people. In fact, he even told, as an example, he told Hosea to go marry a prostitute to show <clears throat> how Israel had prostituted herself uh, for their you know their impiety, their idolatry, their um, you know, in fact, uh, I think uh, a companion to this verse 6, Turn ye unto him whom the children of Israel have deeply revolted. <laughs> Excuse me, in the ninth chapter of Hosea, down around about the ninth verse, let's see here, he says, <laughs> They have deeply corrupted themselves as in the day of Gibeah. Therefore, he will remember their iniquity. He will visit their sins, you know. And he says, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first ripe in the fig tree at her first time, but they went to Baal Peor and separated themselves under that shame. And their abominations were according as they loved, you know. Yeah. You know, how do you ultimately how do you ultimately derive love from uh, spiritual prostitution or spiritual iniquity that you know if you're in Christ at all you're gonna you're gonna lament upon that ultimately and you're gonna realize that that's if you're in Christ if you're not well then you're gonna go on about your business and continue on in that path that downward spiral you know. And that's God's doing. God directed them to be as they as they were, and there was nothing any of them could do. But Hosea took a great offense, just you know, to Lord, you want me to marry a harlot, you know? But that was God's illustration of 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 how He dealt with Israel as the harlot country that had. Well, you know the rest. I mean, you know, and he, he married her, and then he had to try and get her back. I mean, she just loved the world to the point where, you know, it broke his heart, his mental, you know, love for this woman. I'm sure he, he I don't know, but I think he gained a, a an appreciation for a companion of the opposite sex. Yet, at the same time, she was a whore. And uh, Israel is a whore. And today, the so-called Israel, you know, constituted in, what, 1948, they put a lot of credence to that. I think it's a satanic counterfeit. Myself, I don't put any credence to 1948 or the reestablishment of the so-called state of Israel. I don't put any credence whatsoever. I just I just see it as a satanic counterfeit. How do you see would, this uh, state of Israel? I would, I, I would concur with that. In fact, I a number of years ago did a message on sermon audio entitled "If you are uh, upholding the state nation of Israel, you're uh, upholding Luciferian doctrine because that's what it is." I mean, I. I don't want to get into all of that, but <clears throat> the reality of it is they don't they don't 
they don't worship Jesus Christ. They don't recognize him as their Messiah, and they are Kabbalistic, and they are, um, you know, they <laughs> they are the furthest thing from it's the furthest thing from being a holy land, you know. Oh, absolutely. But any, you know, it's yeah, uh, there's nothing holy about that 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 rock in the desert over there. I don't see anything holy about it at all. I just call it the unholy land, and uh, boy, but they sure write books about it, and they sure preach it like it's gospel. And uh, well, that's that seven, that's a second covenantal thing that they have. And uh, I guess they construe it as prophecy, you know, in our day, and that well, we should all. Well, you know, it's eat. been it's been so. Yeah propped up by the Jesuitical influence of um, the dispensational uh, seminaries and and the whole like you said the 48 and the 60 you know 67 war that whole thing was it had to be manufactured to bring about <clears throat> the dispensational theology which is futurism it gets minds off of Roman Catholicism and on to some future event and so on. I really don't want to get into that today, but I think you hit the nail on the head as far as as far as <clears throat> nation of Israel and and I, we say to our Jewish friends uh, that are uh, of the remnant, you know, we say to them, you know, there are going to be those who, and there already have been those that have have recognized by the Spirit of God that Jesus is their Messiah and have embraced him yeah, and have been chosen. Yeah, yeah very have rare. chosen. Yeah. Right, they are the remnant. They are the 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. They are the Jews that are uh, Jews inwardly that have been circumcised of the heart, not of the flesh. <clears throat> anyway, in verse 7, he goes on, he says, For in that day every man shall cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which your own hands have made unto you for a sin. It's really interesting because it appears that it wasn't just that they had these particular idols, but they were really intent on worshiping them. And... You know, he says that there's going to come a you know there was going to come a time within this construct of this historical time frame that they were going to put them away from them, and they were going to repent. They were going to recognize <clears throat> that it was sin for them to try to replace idols with the one and true God, and uh, that they were going to recognize that they were deserving. Uh, you know, of the punishment that they received because of their forsaking God and so on. And, you know, fast forward today, I mean, we see idolatry has taken a whole new form today. And uh, a re- what I call replacing the one true God and his word with a false uh, free will gospel and a, um, a false religion that makes man a cooperative agent with God rather than placing God on the throne and uh, 
And like you said, Chris, many times, you know, God's not going to share his glory with another. And the ultimate idolatry is trying to, you know, come alongside and, and act as if you have you have a hand in in this matter. And we know, in fact, man doesn't have a hand in it because he's dead. He can't do anything. So exactly. But that yeah. I. Yeah, I think that's the idolatry, don't you, that, that is so prevalent today? Yeah, absolutely. We, we are dead like Lazarus was dead. And it took the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ saying, Lazarus, come forth. And, uh, and Lazarus came forth, you know, after he stunk mm-hmm. for four days. You know, and we we, we all stink. We're all, We're all stinking. You know, as soon as we die. But Jesus didn't see corruption. Our Lord, Master, he didn't see corruption. But though though they murdered him, which was predetermined by the Father, he didn't see, he's the only one that didn't see corruption. Whereas we all see corruption in the course of our death and the time, you know, I think when they come and take you away, if you're alone, like might be my case, uh, you know, they find me, uh, they would uh, have to wear some kind of a mask or something to save themselves from the stench of the of the filthy, decaying human body that we all possess. The only one that didn't is Jesus Christ. He possessed no no stench to his, because his body never corrupted, you know? Right. Our, our Lord's body never, never corrupted, and, you know, that, that we can trust. But as for ourselves, well, we're a different entity, and we are, we are laden with the, the sin, our sins, if we're not saved but either 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 you're saved if you're saved or not it doesn't matter you're still subject to corruption just like king david was subject to the corruptible body that's going to stink after and i i don't really mean to go there but it's a reality you know and 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 to me that's just a picture of our of our stinking sin you know the physical body relates the fact that our our spiritual Entity stinks to high heaven, and it's uh, the way it is. Yeah, you know, that's why they have to put us in the ground before. And can you imagine? You know, all those dead bodies. You alluded to Sennacherib, hundred eighty-five thousand dead. You know, what were they? Assyrians. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. And, and and they stunk for, you know days i mean what do you do with that that mass of dead bodies other than dig a big pit and and put them in the ground i mean you know it's horrendous but uh, no we're not spared from that whether you're saved or not your body's going to see corruption and the only one that didn't is our lord and savior jesus christ his body never saw corruption Never will. Yeah, and you, you know, you know Peter, Peter did quite a, a message, 
uh, back there in Acts. In fact, the second chapter of Acts, and you know, there's a lot in. You know, everybody thinks of uh, the second chapter of Acts is just the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, but there's a lot more there, especially if you go uh, down to, you know, the uh, around the 25th verse, it says, <clears throat> well, I'll, I'll just start with verse 23. This kind of goes into what Chris was talking about here. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God by, um, have to, uh, you have taken and uh, by wicked hands and have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden up. For David speaking concerning him, I remember the first time I read that and saw that David speaketh concerning Christ. Right. Okay. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he's on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also was my flesh my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one, speaking of Christ, to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. And, you know, he goes on through there, and he says, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. <laughs> Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He's seeing this before. Now, he's Peter's talking about David seeing the resurrection of Christ. He said, he's seeing this for, before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus <clears throat> hath God raised up, wherefore we are all witnesses. Therefore being by the right hand of God, exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which ye now see and hear, for David is not ascended into heaven, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies my footstool, thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. So this really is just affirming what Chris is saying about the fact that Christ never saw corruption. In fact, even according to the prophecy, not one of his bones were broken. You know, they would always break all the bones bones of the others, but his bones were all intact. And, uh, That's right, and that was prophesied. And the, the fact is that uh, it was prophesied that Jesus... It was, you know, when you go to Lamentations, and it looks like, you know, here's uh, here's Jeremiah in his Lamentation saying, I am the man. I think you know the rest. 
as it starts yeah. out. Yeah. I am the man who has seen this and that and so forth. And it talks about, we know it's talking about not Jesus here, because it does talk about his body, you know, waxing old and, and, and like wax melting and, and, and that his bones are broken, you know, and that's really speaking about, you can take that figuratively and, and literally, but uh, the fact is, it was, it's really, it's not, that's not speaking of Jesus Christ, because we know Jesus Christ's bones were not broken, and there right. was a, there was a, a controversy over that, and the fact, the, re, the restraining fact is that Jesus never saw corruption, nor were any of his bones broken. Because when they came to him, remember Jesus said, I have the power to, to, to lay my life down and to take it back up again. And, right. you know, he died in about a six-hour time span. And after about nine hours, if they weren't dead, they'd break their bones and cause, cause such excruciating pain to the person being crucified that that person would just die from that ultimate last pain inflicted upon them by the Romans. They took a like a baseball bat and broke their legs because they couldn't reach up any higher, you know. But uh, Jesus, again, never saw corruption, and uh, everybody else that's crucified does see corruption. Everybody, all of us, see corruption in the grave. And, but that's okay, because Jesus said that it's, it's the it's the flesh profiteth nothing. It's the spirit that's everything. That's right. <clears throat> that's exactly yeah. right. We don't need to worry about, uh, you know, if my body's going to, if the worm dieth not and I see, you know, my body, you know, is corrupted and the worms eat my body or whatever and people freak out over this. Let the worms come and eat my body. My body is of no value. It's the, it's the, uh, and God puts it back together anyway, you know. So right. like you said, like you were sharing with me, it doesn't matter if you're, you're cremated or anything. I, I happen to believe that it's better to get buried. I think that's the Christian way to, you know, lay, to lay a loved one to rest, you know. But uh, regardless, uh, we just have faith that Christ knows his elect and does not let our bodies see corruption. And I don't that's know how right. I got You know, I... I uh, yeah, God, God is, you know, he made our, he made us out of the dust of the earth. And he says, dust you were taken and dust you will return. And mm-hmm. and uh, we're going to have glorified bodies and it's not going to have anything to do with, with this corrupt dirt. He says, he says that the, you know, corruption cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That's right. And we think of we think of all of the martyrs that were burned at the stake, you know. Yeah. I mean, they were they were at, they were cremated. I mean, they, God well, they knows were, exactly. Yeah. yeah, they were. I'm not I'm not advocating cremation. No, I'm I, 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 it's to me it's not a it's not a big deal. And some people make a great big deal over it. I've shared I, with. I don't make a big deal out of it anymore. I just know that yeah. the, the the king of Moab burned another king's bones to lime. And God was not pleased with that. Yeah. So 
only based upon that, uh, I have to go with, uh, you know, uh, just bury me, you know. There won't be any marker. I don't need a marker. Jesus knows where I'm resting or where my <laughs> right. bones are resting. But, but right. again, to be absent from the body is to be in the presence of the Lord. And that's the only verse that I can really find on that, but I trust it. Other people will dispute that, but they can't come up with any verses that counter it. So, you know. Well, you know, um, I, I I think I've shared with, uh, and I think it makes a point, I, I've shared this before, but I had an old Primitive Baptist brother who was sitting in the hospital with a sister who had lost her husband, and before her husband about a week before her husband died, they'd taken his leg off because he'd gotten so bad. And uh, she started crying. And he goes, why are you crying? She says, well, I didn't make any provision for that leg to be joined back with the body. <laughs> Stuff like that. And, yeah, yeah, God, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the elder the elder said, hey, sister, you know what? God knows all about that leg, you know. That's right. the problem I think we get into. We we try to we try to mix the physical, like you said, with the spiritual, and they they don't mix. It's like mixing oil and water. It's like, you no. know, it talks about in the scripture, we're of the earth earthy, and he's of the heavens heavenly. In other words, we're gonna we're gonna have a totally different body when we uh, we're gonna have a glorified body. Now, just moving on yeah. here, we we can go. Okay, verse 9, it says, He shall pass over to his stronghold uh, for fear, and his princes shall be afraid of the ensign, saith the Lord, whose fire is in Zion and his furnace in Jerusalem. What are your thoughts on that? Well, then shall the Assyrian fall with the sword. Not talking about anybody that's not elect. Syrians were very brutal people. You know, their motive of crucifixion was something I don't even want to go into. It was so brutal. Yeah. But anyway, uh, with the sword, not of a mighty man, and with the sword, not of a mean man. Shall devour, but he shall flee from the sword, and his young men shall be uh, uh, dis, dis, com, discomfited. Discomfited. Now, what are your thoughts on that word, discomfited? Well, I think that they're going to be, uh, I think another word, way of saying it is discomfited. In other words, they're going to be, yeah, thank you. Yeah, they're going to just be, they're going to be put in a position of total, total awkwardness and not to their true strength because what, the reality of it is they're going to be made afraid because yeah. they're going to they're going to realize that uh the Lord is the fire in Zion. In other words, he's the furnace in Jerusalem. He's the one that's going to come against um this they talk about uh this fire that was a continual burning and sacrifices were offered to him and and the place of his worship, and then when you see that when you see the fire of God's wrath coming on to defend his people 
and to destroy his enemies. I mean, that's going to, you know, for lack of a better way of saying it, no pun intended, that's going to put the fear of God in him, the real fear of God. But, but brother, and, uh, by that, that, at that point, it'll be too late. Yeah. And yeah. they will have to go through the fire uh, for a continual burning, which I guess is a sweet savor unto the Lord. You know, I, I can't imagine that, but uh, the Lord already has. And, uh, no, they're the... Uh, these, these, you were talking the other day about, you know, the Talmud and stuff. I mean... You know, the Jews, even in their Talmud, interpret the fire of interpret the fire of hell as the uh the furnace of the gate of hell. In other words, it's the uh it's the opening to hell. Well we know the Talmud is all a bunch of malarkey and, and oh, occultic, yeah. but but the point is is that they still have an awareness, okay. And and you know it's kind of like in Romans it says that you know they knew God but worshipped Him not as God you know they worshipped the the creature more than the Creator and that's exactly what and and I think if you look at what's going on right now I mean and of course we have to remind everybody as we come to a conclusion of this study uh, we have to always remind everybody that. God's purposes are in everything, including the disobedience of his children. His purposes are wrought, and and we cannot understand, you know, all the reasons why he allows his children to, you know, to to go on in disobedience, and then he brings them back to repentance, and he allows them to go back. I know a lot of it is, is to, to show our utter... Uh, reliance upon him but i don't think we'll ever fully understand the purposes and mysteries of god and when he says that he works all things after the counsel of his own will that includes everything that we've gone over in this chapter today and we also have to realize that in the end uh there's only one left standing so to speak and that is the lion of the tribe of judah you know and it says in Revelation, it says, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive glory and honor and power. And that he's the only one that was able to open the seals, loose the seals thereof. And so that's where we point to in all of these Bible studies. We point to Christ as the solution to uh, for the elect only. And that's that's a distinction. That's a distinction. In other words, we don't go into... This whole uh, lie uh, promoting that you know um, God loves the world and and Jesus Christ died for the world because there's so many scriptures that absolutely negate that. It says he says that you know he didn't pray for the world. He says that he. He says, my sheep know my voice and they follow me and no man can pluck them out of my hand. And he said, the reason that you don't hear me is because you're not my sheep. He says, you're from underneath. He says, you're your father, the devil, and the works the devil you will do. And, of course, in Hebrews it says that he gave his life a ransom for many, not all. 
And it, he says, yeah, as it relates to the Gentiles, as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And he tells us in Ephesians that we were chosen in him from the foundation of the world. And he says that we were predestinated into adoption. And so what we're pointing to is the absolute certainty that God's kingdom cannot be added to or diminished. It is a it is a certain kingdom, and there's all these people out here that are trying to go out and save the world by their own missionary activities, and they actually think that they can change, they can add to the kingdom of God, <laughs> you know. And so, um, what are your thoughts about that, Chris? Yeah, yeah, the you know, we're, uh, we're limited. God isn't limited, you know, and. Uh, you know, all I can all I can do is concur. You know, I mean, everything you're saying is consistent with everything God has already said, and He'll say it again. You know, so He firmly establishes, you know, His contention. You know, but man is in a terrible predicament, and if we get anything out of this, we we must know that we are sinners before the the Lord Almighty, and must look for an advocate, and Jesus Christ is that advocate. He is our rock, and, uh, you know, I know you're more specific here in particular with uh, with this chapter, but ultimately it all falls upon uh, the king of the mountain of Zion, and that's Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, did you ever play uh, King of the Hill with your friends when you were a kid? You you were on a little uh, mountain oh, yeah. top of the yeah. hill, and yeah. you'd throw people off the hill that tried to t- assume your... Uh, your your place. Well, aren't we always trying to do that and, and kick kick the Lord himself off? You know, but we can't. He's throwing us right. off, you know. And right. he doesn't you know, his tolerance only goes so far, you know. Uh we've wasted a lot of time in our lives, but but we have a gracious God and and, and if we if you know, if anything is to be learned from the graciousness of our Father in heaven through through the death, resurrection, burial and resurrection of his dear son, our our, our savior, our master, is that Christ died for for his elect. And right. they don't like that. They think they're the captains of their own soul. Maybe I'm off track here. I get off track quite a bit, you know, no, but no, ultimately no, it leads to brother, it leads to the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord and uh, but people don't like that. They don't want that in general. I'm talking 100% right. on a curve. Don't want anybody to hold sway over there. And that's if they even believe in an ultimate spiritual uh, uh, ascension to heaven for themselves or their spirit. You know, their spirit, that is. Regardless of what they believe, these things are coming to pass. And right before their eyes, and it's going to amaze them, but they're going to be found wanting, and it's going to be ugly. And, you know, all I can say is, not because I'm vindictive or anything. Again, like God says, I would have none to perish, you know. Uh, But the fact is, most will. Well, that's right. And, uh, you know, I I think that um, there's... uh, a great consolation 
to those who are God's elect. Uh, like we said yesterday, and we were doing a study in the second chapter of Ephesians, and we all concurred that there's great, great solace in realizing that the work is already done by by God, and it's all past tense. And there's not anything we can there's not anything we can do to change that, because God's uh, through His Son, Jesus Christ, uh, who was manifested in the flesh in time, uh, died on the cruel and rugged cross of Calvary, and when He, uh, right before He gave up the ghost, He said. It is finished, and the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Praise God, it's and, finished. Uh, it is sake. finished. And it was actually, you know, I mean, we were actually chosen before creation, chosen in him before the foundation of the world. And so there's a great solace to know that even though we may not understand a lot of the mysteries of the Godhead, you know, some of the greatest uh, theological arguments have been around the, the Godhead and, and that word the Trinity which is not in the Bible but you know rather than getting into all of these things let us focus on what we do know and that is right. that Jesus Christ has been exalted God has given him a name which is greater than any name that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And also, Jesus Christ himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And, of course, we're living in a world where everybody wants to say that all paths lead to God. And and that that isn't the case. You know, they try to, you know, uh, Michael Savage has a talk show. He has one of the largest talk shows in the United States right now. He has 20 million listeners. and He says that God is like uh, the hub and all the spokes of the different religions that lead to the same God. That's a lie. And Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is an exclusive person in the God. Uh, he, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And so... We're here today to pronounce that Jesus Christ is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And his perfect sacrifice on the cross accomplished exactly what he came to do. He came to save his people from their sins. Right. And that is the gospel. That is the good news. You know, now a lot of people don't like that good news. They don't like it. And, you know, the thing of it is, the people who receive it gladly are the ones who have been given the gift of salvation. And the ones who don't receive it haven't been given that gift of salvation. That's that's just another way of putting it. Do you have any final uh, remarks uh, before we close this out? We've gone now, oh, about an hour and uh, 12 really? minutes. Yeah, with, I, had, I, had Mark, I had Mark read. Uh, before you came on, he read the passage for us, and so. But anyway, do you have any concluding no, no, remarks, brother? I can just attest to what Peter said. Uh, Jesus said, "Will you? Will, will you know?" Many, many left Jesus because these sayings were too hard. 
for them yeah. to ascertain. And Jesus said, uh, well, you go away also. And Peter stood up and said, well, Lord, where, where can we go? For, for you have the words of eternal life. You know? Exactly. So exactly. Peter, through the Holy Spirit, realized this fact. And uh, by the grace of God, we realize the same thing. You know, isn't it wonderful that we're not judged from our day-to-day sins because we're we're really full of it, you know? We're really full <laughs> of sin. We're sinful creatures, fleshly creatures. And it's just so wonderful that we have a... a, a, a we, we truly have a God that saves to the uttermost. And by that, I get from that that in spite of ourselves and our daily fallings, you know, and our continual sinning, which we do as fleshly beings, that our Lord still loves us with an everlasting love, and we don't have a hand in this, and it's good we don't, because we'd mess it up. I say that a lot. I know, it's boring, but but, but at least it gives us hope and something to hope on and trust in. And right. I gain great solace, you know. Even though I'm alone in life, as it were, and uh, it's like a test, I guess. I don't know. God, God isn't testing us for our for our faith in Him. That's already been established, and, and and you can't take or add to that. That's a given. Yeah, because He's He's the author and the finisher of our faith, and and, and our faith is not. The faith is not in our faith. The faith is in the faith of Christ. And so, right. Jesus has yeah. the faith. Jesus has yeah. the faith that he shares with those he loves. It's not a matter of us ever having faith, you know. And yeah. I'm so glad that it's illustrated as such that that we don't trust in, in our faith or our so-called faith, but we trust in the faith that Jesus possessed that was granted, you know, that was given to him through the Father, you know, and the Holy Spirit. And, And, you know, I don't don't understand it. No, we don't trust in our own righteousness because we have none. We trust in the perfect righteousness, the merits of Christ, the imputed righteousness. I'm going to end this call. I just want to invite, you know, if if anybody wants to stay on for a time of fellowship, uh, guest six or guest uh, two, feel free to call in and, uh, We'll open up the lines, but I'm going to end this call for now and stay with us.